the primary goal uh, and the primary objective of our time together as we engage in the word of God is for every believer to read through the entire scripture. And we're doing that 20 to 30 minutes a day. This is our primary objective. This is our primary goal. And so it's been it's been incredible to see how much we have been able to get through simply just committing to half an hour a day. Right. Half a Netflix episode a day. Um, how much scripture we've been able to to uh, to get through. We've gone through the entire New Testament and now we're going through uh, the entire Old Testament. We've read now through Genesis. We've read through Exodus and now we're reading through Leviticus um, and and we're just going to continue to journey through because I believe that when people see the scripture from the grand narrative, from a more macro perspective, then they're able now to understand the scriptures from a more micro perspective where they begin to read the scriptures uh, within the context of the totality of the letter. So, guys, this is incredible that we have people from all around the world who engage with us every morning in the reading of the word. Guys, you're a part of something big, something incredible. Um, I never would have expected this to happen, but here we are um, to see us journeying together. And I'm telling you, I truly believe this, that you will encounter and you will experience transformation simply through the reading of the word, even if you don't understand every dimension and every element of the word, but you will experience the power that engaging in the word has in the transforming of your life. And as you continue to grow in the grace of God, all of it becomes begins to come together. And then you begin to realize that this word is not simply a textbook of ideas, but it's a person that we ought to know. And so we're going to read Leviticus, which is one of the most unpopular books in the Bible. But we're going to read through it because I believe by reading through it, you're going to um, hopefully I give you a different perspective of it. So quickly, shout out where you're located real quick. I just want to see where my family's at before we get started. What's going on, Alan? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Um, shout out where you're located, family. Shout out where you're located. Good to see you, Jason. That's fam right there. Good to see you, Nina. Good to see you, Gary. I got Mobile out of Alabama in the house. I got Jamaica in the house. We got Atlanta, Georgia in the house. We have North Carolina in the house. We have Vir- Virginia in the house. We have Namibia. Wow, that's incredible. 3 p.m. in Namibia in the house. This is amazing, guys, um, to see what um, the Lord is doing. The baby hasn't come yet. Okay, baby hasn't come yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, Pray for us. Baby's coming soon. Sierra Leone in the house. Washington, D.C. in the house. Texas in the house. Ireland in the house. Man, Dallas, Texas, Mobile, Alabama, Quantico, Virginia, in the house, Bronx, New York, in the house, Fort Lauderdale, in the house, Naples, in the house, Texas, in the house, Chicago, Boston, Orlando is in the house, Colorado, Baltimore, Massachusetts, Maryland. Guys, this is incredible that we are engaging together in the reading of the word. And I really believe this, that there's something transformative that can happen to you today, simply in the reading of the word. So let's not uh, let's not belabor the time. Let's get right to it. We're going to read and then um, and then we're going to spend some time in prayerful reflection. I want you asking three questions when you're reading. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? 
That's what I want. What's what I want you to ask for yourself as you read the scriptures. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, that you've given us to come together to gather in the reading of your word. Father, I pray that you would bless us today. Lord, give us understanding, Lord. Increase us in our knowledge of you. Increase us in our our understanding of what you've called us to be and called us to do. Increase us, Lord God, in our understanding of what we ought to be in our relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would convict us, that you would correct us, that you would encourage us, that you would empower us in this time as we come together to gather in the reading of your word. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited. Let's go. Let's do it. Leviticus chapter one, it says this. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd of the flock. Hmm. If his burnt offering is a burnt, burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a meal without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in in order on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the heads, and the fat in order uh, on the wood, that is, on the fire upon the altar. And he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Hmm. If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats, as a burnt offering, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar and shall cut it in its cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar but he shall wash the entrails and its legs with water then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar it is a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord and if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the lord is of birds then he shall bring the offering of turtle doves or young pigeons A priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off his head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar. And he shall remove its crop from its feathers, with its feathers, and cast it beside the altar on the east side, into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, and shall not divide, and shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar. On the wood that is on the fire, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering 
shall be a fine flour. And he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense in it. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, of, on whom shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. As you bring an offering, a, 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 sorry, as you, as you bring as an offering, a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It shall, it is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of offerings to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your Lord to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall also offer the grain offering of your first fruit, green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. You shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion of the uh, memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense an offering made by fire to the Lord. Hmm. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar then he shall offer from the sacrifice of peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and the fat that is on the entrails of two kidneys and the fat that is on them by flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt, upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And his offering as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay its head on its, sorry, lay its hand on the head of its offering and kill it before the tabernacle of beating. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood um, all around on the altar. 
then he shall offer the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat and the whole fat tail, which is, well, sorry, which he shall remove close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food an offering made by fire to the Lord. And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head before the tabernacle of meeting and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood on the altar. He shall offer it from from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be the perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall eat neither fat nor blood. Hmm. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, a sin offering. <laughs> he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in the front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it the fat of the bull as a sin offering that the fat covers the entrails that and the fat sorry the fat covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails the two kidneys and the fat on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn them on the on the altar of the burnt offering but the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head and its legs, its entrails, and offal. The whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out. So then it shall be burned. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should be done and are guilty. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin to bring it before the assembly. Um, so shall offer, uh, to bring it before the bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. Sorry, guys. 
verse 15. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. Then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And, it shall, and he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar. And he shall do with the bull as he did with um, the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he has burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God, and anything which should not be done in his guilty, or if a sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of goats, a male without blemish. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering of the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all its fat on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of the priest's offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. If anyone of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any one of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and is guilty or if a sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge when he shall bring his offering as a kid of goats a female without blemish for his sin which he committed and he lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of its blood, put it on his fingers, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the priest's offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And if he brings a lamb as a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put, the horn, put, the, put, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. Hmm. Chapter five. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath, and is a witness, whether he has seen or known the matter, 
If he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the <clears throat> or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is aware of it, he shall also be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches a human, or if he touches, sorry, human uncleanliness, whether uncleanliness with which a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb or kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespasses, which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar and the rest of the blood shall be drained out of the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has committed and he has forgiven him. But he is not able to bring two turtle doves or but if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sinned shall bring for his offering one tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a burnt offering. Sorry, as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Then he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him and for his sins. And he has commit, sorry, the priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as a grain offering. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person commits a trespass, and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord. Then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm he has done in regard to the holy thing and add one-fifth of it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty, he shall bear his iniquity. 
and shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance hmm. in which he has erred and did not know it and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to stop here. Um, in our, in our reading time, I'm going to stop here. And what I want to do today, um, is, is to provide a preface for how we're going to be reading through the remainder of this book through the remainder of the book of Leviticus. For those of you who are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. We spend 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting or whatever, however, you know, whatever is provided to us that day um, to reflect on the scripture. That's why I call it the read and the rant. And the purpose of it is just to read through the whole Bible. And so we've read now through all of the New Testament and now we're reading through the Old Testament. And if you miss any of the readings, you can go back and catch them. It's the font everywhere. We have a Facebook group called the font everywhere on Facebook where you can catch it there. If you ever have prayer requests, I want to just mention that as well. If you ever have prayer requests, because um, I, I can't keep up with the prayer requests on my TikTok, obviously. Um, it's just, it's just a lot that, that a lot of messages that get sent to me. So I want to encourage you. We have a community of people. Okay. It's a family there. It's a community. Out of nowhere, we just birthed this community. It's incredible that I believe we hit 900 people in that group now, which is which is awesome. Um, and just to see people coming together to pray for each other, to encourage one another. So um, I'm putting them there. Um, it's actually being recorded right now. On um, it's it's being broadcast right now in our Facebook group live. Like I've got my Facebook family here: Doris, um, Hentoya. Good to see you, Erilis. Good to see you, Alyssa. Um, good to see you guys um, for coming. John, good to see you, brother. Um, and, and so it, it gets saved there so you can go back and check it out. Um, and then I also have been posting now regularly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday our Read and Rants on, on the podcast. So you can check out the Read and Rant podcast, which all of a sudden is growing really, really fast. I'm, I'm just absolutely blown away by the response that that I'm getting for this. I was not expecting it. But it's, it, I'm just encouraged that this has been a blessing to you guys. And so you can catch it. It's uh, The podcast is available on Spotify and it's available on Apple. So you can catch them there. Um, so you can catch the prior read and rants there. But anyway, um, but though, though that one's more delayed. Um, if you want it in real time, you, you'd have to catch it on the Facebook group. I haven't decided yet where we're going to go with that, but, um, but we are regularly every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I'm posting the past reading rants that we've done here on, on TikTok. So, um, so check them out. Cause I, it, it'll be a blessing, um, to you as you're learning to read, as you're reading through scripture and learning how to, sorry, learning how to posture yourself as someone who's, um, as someone who is reading the scripture from a meditational posture to hear from God, to read the scripture with the intention to hear from God. 
Leviticus. Leviticus is uh, an unpopular book. Leviticus is an unpopular book. It is unpopular because one, it it seems dry, right? Um, you read Leviticus, and it's, it's kind of like, uh, gosh, all these offerings and this and this and that. And it seems very rudimentary. Um, it seems kind of dry. And so for many people, when they read Leviticus, it's kind of, it's a turnoff. One reason. Second reason is because um, Leviticus, when people read it, and I've talked about this many, many times, my connection's breaking up. That's weird. You guys say my connection's breaking up because it's saying I have a good connection. I don't know what's going on. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. Okay. I, I don't know. Um, it's on Apple and on Spotify. All right. Hopefully, hopefully things, things, hopefully it, it, it works. I mean, it says it's, I, I see a good connection, so I don't know. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope something's not going on with TikTok, but, um, but I'll just keep pressing through, um, as we go. Okay. Facebook family is good. So we'll keep rolling, um, with it. Uh, so Le- Leviticus is, uh, it's an unpopular book of the Bible. It's not referenced. You don't see many people doing Bible studies on Leviticus. You don't see many preachers preaching through the book of Leviticus. You don't see, um, it's just an unpopular, it's an unpopular book. Um, it's not a book a lot of people go to. Um, and, 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 and I think part of it is because most people, when they read through the book of Leviticus, they improperly insert themselves in the book. When they read through the book of Leviticus, they put themselves in the book as if this letter is written to them about things that they ought not to do, which creates so much confusion. It creates a lot of confusion because um, you you look at it and you're like, okay, so they're talking about all these sacrifices that have been performed. Do I do these sacrifices? Do I not? Which part of Leviticus do I do? Which part of Leviticus do I not do? What, what, where, where, what part is me? What part is not me? Which part? So there's just so much there that I believe, you know, profoundly confuses people when they uh, read through the book of Leviticus. And, and so there's a disconnect there. That's all I'm pointing out is that there's a profound disconnect when people are reading Leviticus. Um, and so, and so what I want to do is I want to realign your, your perspective. And I've been doing that through the book of Exodus in the same way that I'm realigning your perspective in the book of Exodus. I hope that it will align your, uh, a proper perspective as to how you ought to be reading through the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is a book that was not written to us. Okay. It was not written directly or specifically to Christians. Okay. But it was written to the children of Israel for the edification, for our edification today. Okay. Um, but it was not written to us. That is directly to us. And yet in many ways it was written for us. Um, and, and I'll, I'll help you understand what I mean by that. 
when 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 we read the book of Leviticus, we read it as if we, you know, these laws that must be passed, we read it from a very myopic perspective, but we miss out on the grand story of what's happening and what's transpiring. If you want to go back and read through, go back to the read and rants that we did through Genesis and through Exodus. I don't want to belabor that time to reiterate those things, except to tell you this, that we ended the book of Exodus with a people who have failed to meet their end of the deal. A covenant was made between the children of Israel and God, that the children of Israel would be the chosen people of God set apart to be a nation of priests, to be representatives of God on earth, to reveal to the world and to initiate and instigate the the kingdom of God to the world to reveal to the world what the kingdom of God looks like and what it looks like for God to be to be sovereign and to operate in his full authority and rule on the earth. They were the representatives of God. And that's why in the scripture, he calls the children of Israel to be the nation of priests. We saw this in Exodus, calling them to be a nation of priests. And so they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. They made a covenant with God there, but then they broke that covenant. The book of Exodus does not end in a resolution. It ends in a tension. The book of Exodus ends in the tension that these people who have broken the covenant that they had with God, to, because the law, remember the law, the intention of the law, people say well, the, the law is to make us holy. No, the, yes, sorry. The intention of the law was to emphasize the holiness of the people of God. Because if they are going to be holy, when God says, be holy for I am holy, the holiness that is the separability of them, them being distinct from everything else, them being separate from everything else, that they were to capture the attention of the rest of the world and the fact that they do not live like anyone else. They do not act like anyone else. They don't um, behave like anyone else. The law was to reveal the holiness of God and at the same time was to make the holiness of God and the righteousness of God real in them. It was about a reprogramming of a people so that they can bring the justice and righteousness to the earth through the work of God, the power of God, the spirit of God in the spirit of the law and the spirit of the letter, but the law could not save them. The law instead, when they wrote up the bargain, and this covenant was written to distinguish them from everyone else that what they showed was is they could not meet the law, that they could not fulfill the covenant. The book of Exodus ends in a tension. It ends in the tension that these people failed to meet their end of the deal. And because they failed to meet the end of the deal, the presence of God, you hear me, family? The presence of God was not with them. There was a distance. They built the tabernacle and yet there was a distance. There was a structure that reflected the presence of God, but there was a distance. (laughs) 
the chosen people of God, because they sinned against God, were now distant from the presence of God. Did you hear me, family? And what the book ends with in Exodus is it ends with Moses, what we read yesterday. It ended with Moses not being able to enter into the tent of the testimony. Not, sorry, the tabernacle of meeting. That Moses could not enter into the presence of God. Because of the sins of the people. And there they were mourning. So so Leviticus opens up. Stay with me, family. Leviticus opens up in this tension. That these people who failed to fulfill the covenant of God. Now found themselves proximate to God, but not in the presence of God. And so God speaks to them, but he speaks to them from a distance. Again, all this is a story and a narrative that God is speaking about concerning his people. If you go to Exodus chapter one, right where it opens up, hold on a second, right? It says, it says that the Lord spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering to livestock and of the herd and of the flock. Just a few chapters before this, Moses is in the presence of God where God allows him to see his manifest presence, his back. And now Moses finds himself among the people of God, not able to enter into the presence of God because of the sins of the people of God. Is everybody here with me? And so now what Leviticus is, and I want to help you guys understand this. Remember, Leviticus is not a book of laws written to us. That's not what it is. It's not a book of rules written to us. What the book of Leviticus is, is about a system and an economy that God is instituting that will allow his people to return back into his presence. The book of Leviticus is actually a book of restoration. The book of Leviticus is a book about how a holy and perfect God allows imperfect, unrighteous people to come into his presence. I want you to pause there. I want you to pause there. Did you hear what I said? I want you to read the book of Leviticus as a book about how God devises a strategic system as to how imperfect, sinful, unrighteous people can enter into the presence of a perfect God who is holy and who is righteous. This is the conflict of God, family. This is the conflict of God. The conflict of God is, is that God is perfect. 
God is holy. If God is holy, let's just pay attention to this conflict here. If God is holy, and if God is perfect, and if God is righteous, and if God is just, then he cannot be in the presence of injustice. If God is holy, he cannot be in the presence of unholiness. If God is sinless, he cannot be in the presence of sin. Are you catching this? If God is holy. If he's righteous, that means nothing can. Be, so that means wherever he is, is holy. Whatever is proximate to him must be holy. Whatever is near him must be righteous. So therefore, if we being unrighteous people desire to be in the presence of God, how do we as unrighteous people enter into the presence of a righteous and holy God? This is the question that people ask. This is the question that people wrestle with. This is the question that people deal with. This is the question that people battle with. They battle with the question of how does this perfect God allow me to come to his presence? Because if I'm even there, if, if all sinful Isaac, the Isaac who's got sinful thoughts, the Isaac who, who, who expresses pride, the Isaac who has, has done some things that, you know, that, that have been terrible and the Isaac who um, has character flaws, the Isaac, how does this Isaac enter into the presence of God? How can God be with a sinful person? How? How can a holy God be among unholy people? This is the disconnect. Is there are people who will devise their own measure of holiness in order to affirm to people that they're in the presence of God. Stay with me, family. Ooh, I don't know if I have time today. That they will say that when we do these things and behave this way and act this way, then we can be received by God. If we are these kind of people and we do these kind of things and we follow these kind of rules and these kind of laws, then we will be received by God. We have created our own measures of righteousness and holiness. We have created our own metrics, our own rubrics of righteousness and holiness. We call some sins, these sins and this sin, that sin. And if you do this one and that one and this one and that one, not realizing how profoundly distant we are from a holy God. How profoundly distant we are from the righteousness and the holiness of God. I don't care how good you are at following the Ten Commandments, even though it wasn't written to you. But anyway, side note, I don't care how good you are at following the Mosaic law. I don't care how good you are at 
doing good things. And I don't care how many babies you've hugged and how much food you have fed to the poor and how much money you've given away and, and how much you've been a blessing to people and how often it is that you've prayed to God and how often it is, no matter what you've done, you are profoundly distant from God in who you are. When we talk about God being holy, we're talking about a level of distinctness that we can never measure up to and never meet up to. And I said this yesterday and I'm going to say it again because I, I'm, I'm coming for all, 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 all holiness movements. I'm coming for all of them. I'm coming for all holiness movements because holiness for many people is defined by how pure we are, how good we are, how little we sin. Like that's what holiness has been defined as. And so when we say that God is holy. What we're saying is that God is sinless. God is sinless. God cannot sin. It's not possible for God to sin. However, God being holy doesn't mean that he's sinless. Being holy, the word holy is to be distinct, is to be set apart, is for nothing to be like it. And the truth is, is that there is nothing like God, the creator of the universe, El Elyon, Yahweh, Jehovah, God. There is nothing like God. So when he says, be holy, you have to understand the level of distinctness that God is calling us to. And that level of distinctness that he's calling us to, we fall infinitely short of it. Don't worry, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, family. I'm warming up. I'm warming up. I want to make sure you understand this. I want to make sure you understand this. Because holiness isn't doing good things. Holiness is not sinning. Holiness is an identity. It's an identity. It's an identity. And so this covenant that God has called the children of Israel to, that they've fallen short of, and yet God is still setting them apart as his children, God now begins to devise a plan God now begins to devise a plan in order for an unrighteous, unholy people to be in the presence of a righteous and holy God. The book of Leviticus is the roadmap of that plan. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just hit me hard. That just hit me hard. That just, that just, that just, that just, that just slammed me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed just by, just by that revelation alone is that, is that God came up with a plan for the children that he has called by his name to be in his presence because unholy people cannot be in his presence because the moment that unholy people are in his presence, then he cannot be holy and therefore he cannot be God. And for some people, they say this is the conundrum that God finds himself in. This is the quagmire that God finds himself in. And yet God came up with a plan. God devised a plan 
as to how holy, unrighteous people can be proximate and present with a holy and righteous God. If God is holy, then everything that is around him must be holy. If God is holy, then everything around him must be holy. So to be in the presence of God means that we must be holy. Our ticket to God, our access to God requires holiness. Which is why sin has separated us from the presence of God. Hmm. So what is the book of Leviticus about? The book of Leviticus is about the plan that God has devised in order to bring an unrighteous, unholy people in the presence of a righteous and holy God. (laughs) And we're going to begin to see the unveiling of that plan. This is how we read Leviticus. This is how we read Leviticus because what we have here in this story, remember, this is a foreshadow of things that God is doing. And in the end, we'll begin to see that it is a foreshadow of Christ. We did, we do kind of have a cheat code. We have a cheat code because, you know, we've read through the New Testament. But if we had read through the New Testament, we would be in attention right now. These are the things that the children of Israel did not, were not privy to. And yet we see this incredible, this incredible working of grace that God is doing for a people who shouldn't be in his presence. For people who shouldn't be in the presence of God. (laughs) I call it the economy of God. This is God's economy. And what God says in that scripture in Leviticus 1 is he says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock of the herd of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it to his own free will at the door of the tabernacle before the meeting of the Lord. Verse four, then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. To make atonement for him. God is making a way for us to be in his presence. Just pay attention to that. God, read it right now. God is making a way for us to be in his presence. He's making a way. He's giving us a way. Yeah, that's right. He's giving us a way back into his presence. 
and he's beginning to show how he does this. Now remember, this isn't written to us, this is written to the children of Israel. But in him doing this with the children of Israel, he's going to show how he's doing this for the rest of the world in all perpetuity. We see that the access back into the presence of a holy God is provided by a sacrifice. God says it it is. God calls it that. God determined that. The holy and righteous God is also a loving and merciful God. And because he's loving and he's merciful, he said, let me write up a contingency plan for people who couldn't fulfill the covenant that I wrote with them to be a holy and separate people. I kept highlighting this over and over again um, because I really want to point this out to you guys. So I kept highlighting this as we were reading. So if you notice, I was getting um, all kind of thrown a little bit. It's because I kept highlighting this in in chapter 4, verse 20. And he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. Verse 26, and he shall burn all its fat on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of a peace offering. So the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. Verse 31, and he shall remove all its fat as its fat has been removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Verse 35, and he shall remove all its fat. The fat of the lamb is to be removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. (sighs) Chapter five, verse 30, verse 13, the priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters and it shall be forgiven him. I want you to catch something. I know this is in a Bible study, but I hope I encourage you today. Okay. This is a word of encouragement. In verse 13, in chapter five, in verses 20 in chapter four, in verse 26 in chapter four, in verse 31 in chapter four, in verse 35 in chapter four, we see now the beginning of the system that God is establishing. I mean, we don't have time to break down all the intricacies of what's happening here, but I want to give you the main idea so you catch it. So you catch it. The priest brings the sacrifice to the Lord and the sins have been atoned for and that person is forgiven. What we understand forgiveness as is not what we understand that God speaks about forgiveness. So let me make sure I break this down. 
when a sin is forgiven, it's literally been brought to zero. What does that mean? It means you start with a blank slate. You start with a blank slate. It's as if whatever happened before never happened. His sins are forgiven, meaning it's zero. It's like when somebody files for bankruptcy. It's not as good as bankruptcy is not as good as it. When they make your debt zero. That's it. You could have owed a million dollars the moment you showed up. Forgive forgiveness is making it zero. That's it. It's making the sin that was committed zero. Are you hearing this? Okay, let me help you out. Right now, uh, Biden is looking to pass a plan for student loan debt. Right. To forgive student loan debt. Um, somewhere between 10,000 and 50,000. There's all this debate about it. And, you know, I'm not going to get into all the politics and the debate on it. Okay. But if you owed, let's say, $10,000 in student loan debt and the debt was forgiven, the day that it was forgiven, that $10,000 debt was made zero. You owe nothing. No one's going to come back to you and ask you for money or ask you to provide anything for that debt because that debt was forgiven. In the same way, what God is saying here to Moses to tell to the children of Israel is that when they come with the sins that they've committed, they give it to the priests. The priests makes atonement and then it shall be forgiven. Stay with me here, family. You may want to write this. The priest was the representative who represented the person and God. The priest was the mediator between God and that sinner. The priest is the one that stood because, catch this now, family, the person couldn't come to God with the sins and ask for forgiveness. Because if the person came to God, then at that moment that they came to God, God would not be holy. And God would not be God. So he needed a mediator to stand in between who would be made righteous and who would be now the representative of that person who can come to God with that person's debt. And then when he came to God with the sacrifice, the scriptures say that the sacrifice makes atonement. The word atonement there is what we call a satisfactory payment. The word atonement was a, was, was a payment that covered the debt. That's what it was. And so the advocate, that is the priest, would come to, the, to God with the sacrifice, make the sacrifice. That sacrifice would be an atoning sacrifice, which would erase the sin that that person committed. The priest would come back to that person and tell that person, whatever was in the past is now in the past. It's done. Did you catch that? Meaning that it shall be forgiven him. Now, here's where it gets real weird. 
here's where it gets real weird. We love that and we love to speak about that in the past. Whoo. But do we speak about that in the moment and in the present? What do I mean by that? If that person goes to the priest with the sacrifice for the sin and that person gives that sacrifice and that sacrifice has brought to zero, what if that person goes back and sins again? Guess what that person could do? Go and get a sacrifice and go back to the priest, bring the sacrifice to the priest. The priest would then bring the sacrifice to God and that sin would be made zero. What if the next day he went back and committed the same sin? If he goes back again and he goes and he brings a sacrifice, God makes it zero. What am I saying to you guys? God didn't make it zero on the stipulation that they could not sin again. Ooh. It's going to get really uncomfortable here in a moment because there are people who are saying, I don't like what you're saying right now, pastor, because what you're saying is, is that we have permission to sin. No, what I'm saying to you is that you are free from sin when you have the appropriate sacrifice. When you come with the sacrifice, sin isn't the issue anymore. They understood that. There was no, I did this and the priest can come back, bro, you were here yesterday. You were here three days ago. You were here 10 days ago and you're coming, you're coming with another one. There was, there's no stipulation here where God says they've done it enough times. They can't be forgiven this time. No, he says when they bring it, the priest will come. The sacrifice will be made and it will be zero. They're not going back now. <laughs> I'm going to help you out, family, because I'm getting a little lit right now. If your sins are zero, can God bring up your past? If you bring him with your sins today. If the sins of their past were made zero and forgiven, erased from their record, expunged, and they commit a sin today, when they come back to God, does God say to them, Listen, man, you've been here for the last three days. No, it's not possible because if God did that, then God wouldn't be God. Yes, exactly right. If God did that, then that wouldn't be just because there's no limitation to the statute of the sacrifice of sin. There's no statute of limitation. So when people like to look at people's past, and keep bringing up people's past when, they're, when whatever they're dealing with, they're dealing with today. What they don't understand is, is that they're operating in an economy that God never instituted. God is the God who sees our sin no more. The moment that the sacrifice is made, he does not see the sin because that sacrifice has been covered by the sacrifice of blood instituted by the priest who brought it to them. It's done. It's done. <laughs> so when the sacrifice is made, it's done. That means you can't, I hear people say, well, when you die, God's going to bring up, I've heard people say this, that um, when you die, God's going to bring up all the stuff that you did 
And he's going to hold those things on account for yourself. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. And we're going to come back to that because you're going to see what that person was reading was read out of context. God has canceled your debt. If he brings up the stuff that you did, then your debt was never canceled in the first place. There's no statute of limitation. No statute of limitation on the blood sacrifice. None. But I keep coming back to God with this. None. Canceled. I've got more debt. Bring it to God. Canceled. This is what they understood. God was devising a plan so that his unholy, unrighteous people can come to his presence. You know what trips me up about this? I'm sorry if I leave you um, in attention because obviously... We have something better than a ram sacrifice. We have something better than turtle doves. We have something better than uh, than birds. We have something better than 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 a lamb. We have we have something better than a ram. We can't. We can't be judged twice. That's exactly right. We have something better than that. They, and we'll get there uh, when we get there. But we have, I was saying this, uh, actually I was saying this in our Black Friday gathering, that the priest came in. Okay, we're, we're going to cheat a little bit. Okay, let's cheat a little bit. The priest brought the sacrifice that would atone for sins and to forgive the debt. But then the book of Hebrews tells us that now we don't need a priest to represent us because we have a high priest, the firstborn of all creation who now represented us and who represents us, who sits as a mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ who was the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. So the priest was also the sacrifice. When the priest went to bring the sacrifice to God, the priest brought himself. And in that moment, the sins of the world were paid for. The sins of the world, past, present, and future, were paid for. (sighs) The sins of all mankind were paid for. God was instituting this from Leviticus. He was writing out the blueprint and the plan of what he would do to bring all people back into reconciliation with him. 
He was our advocate. He was our mediator and he was our sacrifice. Here's the part that gets that that that, that sometimes trips people up when we talk about the, the the profundity of of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Is that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sin, past, present, and future. That means he died for your past sins, he died for your present sins, and he died for your future sins. All your sin has been paid for. You have been made debt free. Debt free. You don't even need to fear what is to come because it's paid for. I know some people are going to get real uncomfortable there. Wait a second. But now if it's paid for, then you're saying that we can just keep sinning. And, and, and no, just stop right there. Don't worry about that right now. We're going to get there. What God is trying to show us is it's not about sin as we would make it, as in the breaking of the law. It's about freedom to be able to be in his presence. And once we're in his presence, then we are transformed in him. God does not want compliant people. God wants transformed people. And the freedom that he gives us is he's not asking for our compliance because he solved the compliance problem. What he's asking is for his presence in us to be in us. I'm sorry, family. I'm ranting. I know it's not fully cohesive. It's going to all come together as we go. But I want to point one last thing and then I got to go. Remember, God is writing the blueprint. That's what I'm going to call this one. I'm going to call this episode for the podcast. I'm going to call it the blueprint. God is writing out the blueprint for how he brings an unrighteous people into his holy presence. But this is the part that really tripped me up, family. All that was good, but this is the part that really tripped me up. In Leviticus 5, verse 17. If a person sins and commits any of these things, which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it and it shall be forgiven him it is a trespass offering and he has certainly trespassed against the lord family did you catch that in this chapter in leviticus 5 he's talking about sin offerings for sins that people are ignorant of that they didn't even know they were committing. God's like, I got this. <laughs> he's literally, he's legit saying, I got this. 
I'm sorry if I I'm sorry if I get real weird here for a second. I'm sorry if I get all kooky and all you know the hood might come out, whatever will come out, let it come out, whatever it is. He's he's forgiving them of sins they don't even ask for forgiveness for. He said, just bring the offering. Just bring the offering. Just bring the offering, and I'll forgive you of the ones you don't even know you're doing wrong. Just give me the offering. I'm going to do the ones. This, this is for the people in the room right now. All 148 of y'all who are on here right now. This is for each and every person who's listening, who's stressing about the sins that they may not know that they're committing. I came to tell you that it's paid for. Even the one, wait, but, but am I sinning on this? What about this one? What about that one? But, but, but please let me know. Please let me know what I'm sinning about and what I'm not. I need to, God tells them if a person sins and commits the things which are forbidden done by the commands, though he does not know it. Meaning there were so many laws, over 600 laws that we're going to read through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're going to read through over 600 laws, 613 laws. The people couldn't keep up with the holiness of God, even if they knew it. And even if they tried. They could not keep up with the righteousness of God, even if they tried. And what God was saying is, is even for the ones that they don't even know. For the sins you're not even sure about. For the sins that you're like, maybe this is a sin, maybe this is not. For the sins that you're like, man, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know, but I, I, I think I'm falling short here, but I can't find a Bible verse to tell me whether or not I'm falling short or not. I think this is a sin. I, I think that's a sin. And uh, uh, I wish I knew more, but I feel like I'm ignorant and I don't know much and I'm, uh, I'm a little confused. Guess what? There's a sacrifice for that too. And you're forgiven of sins you don't even know that you're committing. Sins that you're even ignorant of. <laughs> Sins that you may be like, man, I'm new to this stuff and I just don't know. I'm not sure. Covered. Yeah, but like, what if I find out later on that that was like something that God really hated? Covered. But what if God really hated this sin that I don't know that I'm not sure about? Yeah, it's covered. The blood is good enough. The blood covered it. It's covered. So therefore, this is not about, I want to make sure you understand this. The Christian life is not about following a bunch of rules and laws. The Christian life is not about trying to be good people. The Christian life is not about trying to be, um, you know, <laughs> super good, super religious, go to church on Sunday. You know, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of peculiarity. It's different. 
One thing that you're going to learn when you walk in the grace of God, and I'm closing because I got to go. But one thing that you're going to learn when you walk in the grace of God is that the closer and closer you get to God, the more sinful you realize you are. And yet the closer and closer you get to God, the more loved you discover that you are. Because all the sins that you did not know and the things that you did not realize that were far from the glory of God were already covered by the grace of God. God devised a plan to bring you back into relationship with him. This is what Leviticus is all about. And this is what we're going to read. And this is how we're going to read it. So tomorrow we're going to read Leviticus 6. And we're going to keep journeying through. But today, just remember, God wrote a blueprint for sinners, unrighteous, unholy people to be in his holy presence. And it's the blood. Father, I thank you. Lord, as we uh, read through the book of Leviticus, I pray that we would be encouraged through this book to realize how profoundly we fall short of your glory and your holiness. And yet, Lord, you are loving and gracious and you draw us to your presence by your life of sacrifice, by the sacrifice of the blood offering. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us this awareness, Lord, in all that we do, Lord, that we would be reminded of this in everything, in all things. To know that there's no shame in you, there's no guilt in you because our debt is paid for. Lord, be with us throughout the next few days as we read through Leviticus, Father. I just pray that you would guide us, lead us, shepherd us, Lord. Reveal to us who you are. Reveal to us your plan. Don't let it simply be just our intellectual understanding of what's going on in the scripture. But Father, breathe life in it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask that in your name we pray.